Laura, and welcome to Books, 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 a talk show on books that we think you should read. I'm your host, Mihaila Stoops, and today we're talking about The Queen of Molokai, a book by Kirby Michael Wright. My guest today is the author himself, Kirby Wright. Kirby, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, before we start our conversation on the book, I'd like to play a little promo. This is a book about your grandmother. And I wonder what compelled you to write a book about her. I know I know you've written several other books, but what was the point where you said to yourself, this is it, I'm going to write my grandmother's story? Well, there were actually two points that made me make that decision. The first one was she is a reoccurring character. In all of my books, she appears. And what, the thing that intrigued me about William Faulkner was how, for example, Light in August, he has characters that reappear in that book that were all that resurfaced from Sound and the Fury, Absalom, Absalom. And that idea intrigued me. And I thought, you know, I writing about her in this book would be great, dedicating it to her, but it was my wife who said, you're missing the point. He, she said, the, the person that's your most interesting character in all of the books you've written is your grandmother. So I thought, and, you know, yeah, I thought, why not dedicate a whole book to her? So, you know, she has a very interesting life, at least so from the first book, because I know you plan a sequel or at least two more books in the trilogy, right? Correct. Um, and... If I'm to remember one thing, or if I'm supposed to learn one thing about your grandmother, what should that be? That she was a fighter. That she, she went to an island 
a rural island from living a, a city life in Honolulu. And it, of course, you know, she was, her motivation, she was, she was chasing after a guy. She was chasing after a man. But the, the fact that she was able to adapt from the city life of Honolulu and Waikiki to the rural part of Molokai, you know, the west end of Molokai, which was Molokai Ranch, um, was really what compelled me to write about her. And some of the critics have said she's similar to the heroine in Angela's Ashes, Frank McCord's, because of the fact that she had two sons. She was only 19 years old, and she had two sons out of woodlock. But on the other side of the coin, what made her interesting is she had two sons, and the guy um, that she was pursuing didn't like either boy. Didn't like either boy. So she left her both two half-brothers in the care of her mother in Kaimaki. So I, I think it, you know, what compels me to write about her is how torturous and painful her early life was, you know, having had, you know, two sons out of woodlock and, and dealing with a guy who didn't want to see either kid. And he was a uh, decorated vet. He had volunteered to fight in the World War One, And he um, came back to Oahu not knowing where to work, and he got a job at Molokai Ranch. She was definitely a fighter, and I have to say I very much enjoyed her story, and I want to know more. I know what's I, I want to know what's going to happen next. And the other part that I really enjoyed about her book is that it is so descriptive of Waikiki and Wahoo and Molokai and people and places, businesses that probably don't exist anymore. And I looked at your book as a way of not only carrying on the story of people, but also the story of places. And do you think it's it's important to use fiction to share more information about Molokai and about Hawaii in general? I do, but my foundation with the whole thing is um, nonfiction because I was working off stories that were circulating from friends and family and trying to piece together her life that way. And um, it's very interesting to write about somebody uh, in the years where you weren't even born. You never even saw, I didn't see my grandmother when she was in her 20s, you know? So I had to piece that together. And some of those pieces came from Molokai. They came from going to Father Damien's church and talking to Kapuna uh, about her life and using them to help me piece the stories together because I was inside Father Damien's church and the priest wouldn't even allow her to come inside. So I saw her outside on the in the in the parking lot in her international scout, and she wasn't allowed to come in because she had been divorced. Interesting. So, yeah. So I know you you say that the book falls into a category of creative nonfiction. Can, right. can you explain this a little more? Like, what part is creative? What part is nonfiction? It's it's um. It was kind of an urge I had to, because she was such a 
a vocal person and she couldn't write hardly. And I knew that it was important to capture her dialogue. And I wanted to capture the dialogue of Molokai as well. So because of that, and because of her history and the photos and so forth, I would say the difference between creative nonfiction and say fiction is you're basing it on a real person. Your experiences with a real person and things that actually really happened to them, things, things that are in their history. And besides that, I want it, and this is something I would say to other writers as well, is don't be afraid to write about your ancestors, even though, even if you didn't know them, write about them because I think we have a, an obligation and a duty as writers to remember the past and remember your ancestors. So how is this um, different from historical fiction, for instance? Well, I guess you could say historical fiction works on actual events. This really would happen. However, however, with creative nonfiction, you have the power to explore a character's interior world. That's where historical fiction for me kind of flops because to me, my grandma's interior world in this book is very important. I want to go inside the person and explore their emotions because for me, feelings are everything. Yeah, and I think the book not only addresses her feelings, but also um, the mother, the sisters, the brothers, the kids, right? Absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things that I had uh, really, the chapter that I had great difficulty with was the Thanksgiving dinner in Kaimakee when she returns from Molokai. And I have to deal with 40 characters. 40. And But, you know, thank goodness for, for writers like James Joyce, because in The Dead, his short story, The Dead and Dubliners, he deals with about 40 characters. So I knew it could be done. Well, it was a beautiful description of a Thanksgiving dinner spreading over, I don't know, probably two dozen pages or at least a dozen with all the food and all the events. I, I really enjoyed that, um, that part of the book as well. And um, interestingly enough, you also include, back to Molokai, you include some stories of uh, Robert Louis Stevenson being on island and his writing process and the stories that the locals are circulating. So when in general, or maybe for this book in particular, were you inspired or shaped or influenced by any other famous writers? I, I would say my, my primary influence uh, as a writer would be Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald, for the reason that he said, and what, what he said was, if you're a new writer, I would recommend you starting out with poetry. He said, begin by writing poetry. Well, why, I thought, well, guess what? It, it kind of teaches, whether you're a good poet or not, whether you get published or not, it teaches you how to be succinct with words 
and how to be sort of minimalist and create power just by through minimalism. So there's a kind of a uh, kind of a little bit of a connection there with Hemingway, who wrote in a journalistic minimalist style. So I was at the University of California. I was reading an autobiography by Fitzgerald, and that's what he said. He said, "Begin with the poem." So I took that to heart, and that's I be, I started out by writing poetry. Interesting take. And when I think of poetry, I also think of a certain um, rhythm or music created by the words. So it's not just trying to convey the best message with the minimum amount of words, but also it kind of sounds good as well. Absolutely. And uh, as far as the minimalist take with Hemingway, uh, I knew that I needed, there was so much material that I needed to really refine it a little bit and create, if I could, Hemingway's iceberg technique, where um, stories that I read by Hemingway, such as the end of something and the stories of his father in, in our time, there's a whole undercurrent. And I, and I was thinking, why is that story? I can't shake it loose. It's always with me. What is it about this guy? And that was Hemingway's iceberg technique. So, you know, I tried to incorporate uh, three writers' advice, and that was Hemingway, Fitzgerald, and Faulkner. And Faulkner, of course, for the reoccurring characters. And when I glanced at some of my previous work, the grandmother character is a pivotal character. She's pivotal in almost all the books. Well, she's definitely at the center of this first book of the trilogy. And the book ends with Julia, your grandmother. Um, she's in Molokai. She just returned from Wahoo after seeing her family for Thanksgiving. And she's giving an opportunity to purchase a large parcel of land, which would translate possibly, I don't know what's coming next, but I'm thinking that this may be a way of her, um, a way for her to, you know, do better financially. While her relationship with Chipper, uh, it seems at this point that may not lead to a, to a marriage. Absolutely. And I think that her mentor at that time was real life and real person, Sophie Cook. Sophie Cook was the, uh, wife of George Cook, who ran Molokai Ranch. He was the manager. And Sophie Cook kind of took her under her wing. And she says, you know, Julia, as a woman in your 20s, you're cleaning my home for a living. You're scrounging around trying to find work. The only way you're going to get ahead is to own some land. And she took her from the West End, from the Molokai Ranch area, Kuala Pool area, to the East End, and my grandmother saw the terrain. She had never been to the East End, and she saw the terrain change from kind of an African savanna on the West End to these beautiful mountains, green, all green. So the West End is kind of dry, and the East End is is completely lush. And I think she was she was flabbergasted. And Sophie Cook took her to a property she wanted to sell, and the property was an ahupua. And my grandma said, Sophie, let me see if I got this right. And she was standing on the beach at 
the 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 ahupua was called uh hale kawai couple home of the sacred waters and my grandmother turned and said she says let me see if i got this right so it starts at the beach and it ends at the and so says it ends at the sky so it's the entire track from the you know and it, that was an original land division from king kamehameha to his ali'i who helped him conquer oahu and besides that Sophie mentioned that the land that Ahupua'a had provided sustenance for Kamehameha's warriors on the west end where they were training before their assault on Oahu. So Sophie Cook, this is her real name. You it did is. not alter any of the characters' names. Yes, I didn't alter it. In fact, Sophie, this really impressed me as a little boy was I visited with Sophie Cook. She was the first person to record me in a tape recorder. I had never heard my own voice, and she played it back. I was just amazed. And Sophie Cook was the first person to write about my grandmother. She wrote about her in her book, Sincerely Sophie. And I remember walking by a Honolulu bookstore as a little boy and seeing the book all in the window, and I think that did something to me. I think I said, you know, I'd love to be write a book like that about her about my grandmother. So yeah, my grandmother appears in the pages of Sincerely Sophie. I think it came out in something like 1965 or 66. So your grandma lived, uh, I think she passed away when she was 80 something, am I right? Yeah, she was 82 when she passed, yeah. So your second book in the trilogy would be, what age would that address? Well, the second book, which I'm working on now, would be her at her in her mid twenties. Her so mid twenties. You're still in the mid twenties. Yeah. And mid-20s. then the third book is she getting in her forties or? The third. Where do you stop timelines? The third book will end at the war, the outbreak of World War Two. That's that's where it will end, and um, not the outbreak, but it'll go in because she worked for the USO, my grandmother, and believe it or not, she used to organize um, New York-style Broadway shows in Kanakakai with local girls, and she'd put those shows on for the Army guys that were on R and R and Molokai. Yeah, so she and she was the one who discovered the local entertainer Melvin Lead. Have you ever heard of her? Melvin Lead? Yeah, yeah. she discovered her on Kanakakai in Kanakakai and had her do her shows. She was one of the girls dancing in her show. So that's what's coming in the next two books then. That's what we need to look forward to. Yeah, and what will be interesting too with book three is it'll juxtapose her life on Molokai during the war and what my father was doing in the army because he he volunteered immediately because he was the um, president, student body president at the University of Hawaii. So, you know, the, the colonel got all the guys together that in ROTC at University of Hawaii, my dad was there and Sparky Matsunaga, Daniel Inouye was there. And, and the colonel says, whatever guy doesn't want, lousy coward doesn't want to step forward and volunteer I want to see who you are. And they looked at each other. I'm not involved. I'm going to go right in. So he went in as a second lieutenant. But what's interesting about 
book one is I don't think my father ever would have thought that I'd be writing about him at age two. Because in that Thanksgiving story, he's two years old. Right. <laughs> so I, I got a, I got a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with that one. So, you know, the, the thing is, too, when you're writing about family, everything kind of spreads out and you can you can encompass a big you can, it's like you're at the beach and you're you see a school of fish and you want to throw that net wide or you want to do hooky low because you want to maximize your catch so it's similar with writing because here you are dealing with my father's mother well heck i'm going to throw that net wide and i'm going to catch him too well, that's a that's a good idea, and I hope that there's more information about your dad and your uncle in in the next books as well. What you know, what happens with them, and of course your aunties, and um, that that would be interesting as well. Um, but I think it was very painful though for my father because he was not allowed on the Molokai property except for a month in the summer, so both sons would visit her. His brother is named Bobby, who is a local restaurateur. He uh, he was a guy who was with the Civic Restaurant and La Ronde and a couple of other. He was very well known as a restaurateur. But they were allowed only one month in the summer because Chipper, her husband, didn't like kids and didn't want to see the sons of other men. Well, that's That's pretty hard. There is also another... Um, part in the book that I very much enjoyed, which is when Julia visits Kalau Papa. And a lot of us know Molokai because of Kalau Papa and the stories of Kalau Papa. And did you feel that you had to include that in the book? What what was the, uh, the reason behind, I'm sure there's many things that could have been included in this book, but why did you choose to include the story of her visit to Palau Papa? I think the big reason was I went to Molokai and did the same hike she did, you know, from St. Joseph's over that mountaintop and back. We're talking about 15 miles total up and down. And because of that, that experience, I wanted to include it, especially because I almost died I nearly died on that hike into uh, Kalapapa because on the way back, I didn't have any food or anything. And when I got to switchback 15, there was a telephone pole that was cracking at 15. And I prayed to God the pole would crack and kill me. That's how much pain I was in. Wow. I, I haven't been there yet. I haven't been to Molokai yet. It is on my yeah. um, to-do list. And hopefully I'll I'll do this um, this year, but yeah, that's uh, that's interesting that it, it was so strenuous for you. It was it was strenuous, and on top of that, I did not want to put my weight on a mule going down for two reasons. I didn't want to fly off the edge of the gully, and second of all, I like animals, and I want to press my 180 pounds on the back of a mule, and create that agony. I don't know how all those mules are. So that's why I hiked in and hiked out. Mm -hmm. Well, that's definitely a good story uh, for sure. Well, Kirby, I want to thank you for joining me today to talk about your book. And I want to 
recommend it to our viewers. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, particularly as somebody that has lived in Hawaii for uh, gosh, 16 years now or so, and um, more than that, actually. But anyhow, so it's a really good read. And um, again, thank you for joining me for this discussion. Mahalo for having me. And also a thank you from my grandmother. Of course. Of course. Well, until we meet again, ahuiho. Ahuiho. And then book two will do. How's that sound? Yes. Okay. Yes. Book two. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.